I'll be bringing the Bible readings to us this evening, so if you'd like to grab the Bible that was handed to you as you came in. The first reading's found on page 14, and it's Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. So page 14, Genesis 22, 1 to 19. The second reading's from James, and this um, reading is actually referred to in the second reading tonight, and when Paul comes to speak to us later, both of the passages get touched on. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the city of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The second reading is James and it's on... 
Good question. What page is it on? 855. 855, James 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers... If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was all our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let me add my welcome. If you haven't met before, my name is Paul. I'm the pastor here. And we're working our way through the book of James. Uh, So you can grab your Bibles and turn back to James chapter 2. It's on page 855. I love preaching. Um, it's a real privilege to stand up here each week and just have the, the honour of uh, proclaiming God's word to take the scriptures and to let God teach us through that word. Uh, but it's a tough job. And I'll tell you why it's a tough job. Because as I look out to 6.30 or to 5 or to Saturday night, wherever I'm preaching, um, there's lots of different people. You're all different and you're all at a different stage in your walk with God. So there'll be some people here tonight who you've just come to investigate out who Jesus is. You're not a Christian but you're interested in finding out more about who Jesus is. There'll be other people here tonight and you've just, for the first time in your life, understood that Jesus died for you and you've started to follow Jesus and you're excited and you want to learn more and you can't get enough of it. And there's lots of people here and you're just kind of tired in your Christian life. And you come to church each week and you're thinking, we're going to sing again, we're going to pray again, we're going to hear the Bible again and I'm just tired. And I'm sure there's people here because I meet you regularly who you really lack assurance and you say to me things like, how can I be certain that I'm forgiven? How can I be certain that God loves me? How can I be certain I'm going to heaven? And there's lots more people here tonight because I've met you as well. And to be blunt, 
you're complacent or, or arrogant because you say things like, I'm okay with God, I trust in Jesus, I did that a long time ago. Now I'll choose when I come to church and what I do and you don't tell me please, how dare you. And that's the problem of preaching because all those different people need to hear different things. You know, the young Christian needs to hear a simple truth that will just encourage them for the week and the, the person who lacks assurance needs to, to dwell in God's grace and understood that, that Christ has died for them and they are forgiven. And the, the proud or the arrogant, complacent person needs to hear a rebuke. And here's the real struggle. The wrong people hear the wrong things when I preach. So those who need to hear the assurance and leave here assured and affirmed often just hear the negatives and leave here feeling even more guilty and lacking assurance. And those who need to hear the rebuke, it's kind of like it bounces off them. Oh, that's for somebody else. And they leave here just affirmed in their complacency. It's a tough job preaching, isn't it? Except that we've got a good God and it's God who speaks, not me. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that teaches people what you need to know at this particular time. That's a massive comfort to me as a preacher. I preach, I let the Spirit do the work and do the talking, and I pray that people will hear what they need to hear. It's especially true of a sermon like tonight. It's another tough sermon from James. And the big question tonight is this. How do you know that your faith is genuine. How do you know for sure that your faith is genuine and sincere and what James calls a, a living faith? How do you know that you're not just going through the motions? How do you know that you don't come to church every week and say the, say the prayers and sing the songs and there's nothing happening on the inside? How do you know that? How can you be sure? Because words are easy. Words are very easy to say. And lots of people say, I believe. And lots of people claim to believe. But how do you know? You may know the story of the great Blondin, the tightrope walker. Uh, you may have seen the film last year of the man on wire. Uh, the tightrope walker who put a tightrope from the, from the North Tower to the South Tower of the, of the World Trade Center uh, before it collapsed. And he somehow managed to walk across a tightrope Crosses it with the World Trade Center from one tower to the other. It's astonishing. A couple of hundred years ago, a guy called Blondie was a tightrope walker, and he put a tightrope from one side of the Niagara Falls to the other side. And on that day he did it, a crowd gathered to watch him walk across the Niagara Falls. Can you imagine what it's like when he puts his first step onto that wire, and then the second, and then the third, sort of... And then you watch him reach the other side. And it's kind of... <laughs> and he did it again, a second time. And apparently, on the third time, he stopped in the middle and he cooked an omelette in a frying pan in the middle of the Niagara Falls. And you can imagine the crowd just going, wow, you are amazing. And, and Blondin apparently turned to the crowd and said, do you believe I could walk across this tightrope pushing a wheelbarrow? And the crowd went, yeah, we believe you can do it. You are the great Blondin. And Blondin said, do you believe that I could walk across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow, pushing somebody in the wheelbarrow? 
And the whole crowd went, yep, we believe you can do it. You are the great London. And then he said those fatal words. Okay, let's have a volunteer. And of course nobody stepped forward. It's easy to say you believe. But do your actions demonstrate that your words are true? That's kind of the issue that James is grappling with in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. He's saying, it's easy to say you have faith, but show me. Prove to me. Demonstrate to me that your faith is real. Uh, By the word faith that you find in this passage, the Bible just means uh, trust or, or confidence or a certainty that God's promise and God's word is true. It's that you believe, that you trust, that what God says is actually absolute truth and trustworthy. Jesus did come, Jesus did die, Jesus did rise again, Jesus will return, and you put your trust and your faith and your confidence in that. You base your life on it. That's faith. But how do you know? Well, look at verse 24. James says, you see, a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. I'll read it again. A person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And I'm sure there are people here saying, whoa, hang on a sec. That contradicts everything else in the Bible. And you'll quote to me Romans chapter 3. They all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. And you'll say it's faith alone and Christ alone and grace alone and we are justified, we are made right with God, we are declared not guilty, we're given the the, the not guilty verdict, you are faultless before the throne of God, not by what you do, but what Christ has done. And you base your whole life on that, don't you? You can't earn your place in heaven by your good works. On that last day, God is going to say to you, do you believe in my son? That he died for you. And that's your way to heaven. That's grace. It's the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful truth, the most liberating thing. It's not what you do, but what Christ has done that makes you right with God. So how do you read verse 24 then? A man is justified, a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Look carefully what James is saying. There's a couple of key words. The word alone is important in verse 24. Or look at verse 22. You see his faith, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. Faith and working together. And verse 22 again, his faith was made complete by what he did. His faith wasn't established by what he did, but his faith was made complete by what he did. Because James is using the word justify in a slightly different way to Paul uses the word justify. He's not talking about being made right with God, he's talking about being shown to be right with God. He's not talking about earning your righteousness and earning your place. He's saying proving and demonstrating that you are righteous. Do you spot it? I want to be really clear. You cannot be justified by your works. You cannot be right with God by lots of good works. People think you can, but you can't. You're only right with God by what Christ has done for you at Calvary 2,000 years ago when his blood was shed for you so that you can be forgiven. But, 
How do you know? And James says, by what you do, by your deeds, by your actions. It was Calvin who said, uh, you're saved by faith alone. You are saved by faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. Kind of the same thing that we, we, we talk about in the Proverbs, there's, there's no smoke without fire. You heard that proverb? There's no smoke without fire. It's what James is saying. If there's no smoke, if there's no tangible, visible things that you can see, then you can be pretty certain there's no fire in the heart and fire in the belly. He's saying, look, show me. I want to see that your faith is real. Because words are easy. Think back to that crowd at the uh, Niagara Falls. Why did they gather? Why did they say the words, I believe? They're probably just hedging their bets or just being entertained. And I wonder whether some of us as Christians, our faith is really just hedging our bets just to make sure that maybe if it is true, then on the last day I will be okay. Or maybe it's just entertainment because you can think of nothing better to do on a Sunday night than come to church. And James is saying... I want to make sure that your faith is real and you have joy and you have that real living, joyful, daily, active faith. Because faith without, faith without works is what James calls dead. Look at verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is, is dead. Or verse 20, you foolish man, do you want evidence that your faith without deeds is useless or or dead? And verse 26, the body without the little s spirit is is dead. And so faith without deeds is dead. It's dead, it's useless, it's not real, it's not what James calls saving faith. Because he starts off in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if a, a man claims, speaks faith, they talk about their faith, but they have no deeds. What good is it? It's no good. Can such a faith save him on that last day? No, it can't. And James is saying, this is a scary thing. You can spend your whole life being religious and learning stuff and filling your head with knowledge and talking about Jesus and talking the talk, but it's not real faith and it's not genuine faith and it's not saving faith. And why is James telling us? Because he wants us to be certain. Not to scare us, but to give us that assurance and that confidence that your faith is real. I wouldn't be surprised if after tonight's talk there may be some people who who realise for the first time in your life that your faith isn't real, it's not genuine. Can I say that's a good thing? It's a really good thing because it would be very tragic if you go to the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years sitting in church week after week with nothing really happening on the inside. And I pray that if that is you tonight, that this sermon will prompt you to look at Christ and look at what he's done and experience and know the joy of forgiveness. And there will be people here tonight who need assurance. I pray you'll be assured. And there will be people who need to be rebuked. And I pray you'll be rebuked. Because James gives us two ways that that you can be certain that your faith is genuine. It's a a horizontal, human way, and a vertical God way. And James is really clever the way he packages this this bit, because he starts and ends with the human way, 
and in the middle you've got the God bit, the God way. Uh, so living faith is demonstrated firstly by an active love for people. You can know your faith is real by the way that you love each other in a costly, active, risky, real way. Let's look at how not to do it in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Let's stop there. A brother or a sister. He's not talking about somebody that you pass on Pitt Street. He's not talking about the beggar on the street. He's not talking about the person who knocks at the church door saying, I need help. He's talking about the person sitting next to you. In church, your brothers and your sisters, people who claim to follow Christ, they do love Jesus, and they come to your church and they're in need. It's slightly more confronting, isn't it? And this person is without clothes, verse 15. They've got inadequate, dirty, smelly clothes, and they're without food, without daily food. They've they prayed the prayer, they give us today our daily bread, but God hasn't answered it, and they're going hungry. And when they walk into church on Sunday, it is so obvious by what they look like and how they act, they're in need. So what do we do here at Church by the Bridge? What do we say? What's the response? Verse 16. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is, is dead. He said, what good is it if you just do the, the jovial, friendly, uh, yes, well meant, but very pious, I'll pray for you. Go in peace, my brother or sister. I really pray that God will meet your needs this week. What good is it if you, you say the words, but actually you're sitting there at home with a pantry full of food and a wardrobe full of clothes, but there's no action. And you give them no food and you give them no clothing. What good is it? James said, it's no good. It's useless. You haven't helped anybody. No matter how, me- how well-meaning you were, in the same way, verse 17, if your faith is all words and pietistic words but no action, it's dead. It's hard, isn't it? I thought of at least five ways in the last week that I've used words cheaply and failed to show visible, tangible action, to show that I love people. I'll just share three of them with you. A guy at 9.30 church, 9.45 church, who has lost his job recently. And they're struggling financially. And I knew he had a job interview on Tuesday, so I just sent a little SMS. It took me, what, 20 seconds? Thinking of you today. That's a good thing to do. What I could have done is picked up the phone and said, look, how can I help you practically? Do you need some food? Do you need some clothing? Are you struggling for money? So that actually, what can I do to help you? Maybe some, some, some job contacts or people that I know in the industry, I could phone them and say, have you got any work for them? Practical, active, costly love. Uh, another person who is struggling to pay their rent and is going to have to leave their accommodation. And I sent them an email saying, praying for you. hope that you find somewhere. And I thought, I've got a spare room at home. I could have said, 
if you need someone to stay temporarily or longer term, there's a spare room at my place. I think of another couple who have had their first child and they're really doing it tough. Again, nice words from me. Picked up the phone. How are you doing? Phone for you. I could have said, can I babysit? How about I pay for you to go out for a meal with your husband and your wife so that you get some together time or just sleep. (laughs) Practical, active, costly love. And James says, all mouth and no action, it's dead. Words are easy, but time, energy, cash, it's costly. But that's the first sign of living faith. It's tough, isn't it? Spurgeon says once, uh, if you want to give a, a hungry man a tract, if you want to give a hungry person the gospel, please wrap it in a sandwich. Meet the physical needs as well as the spiritual. It reminds me of Jesus' teaching at, um, in Matthew 25, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Another scary story. On the last day, people will be there saying, but Lord, we, we, we walked with you and we loved you and we followed you. And he says, no, you didn't. Where were you when people were in need? When I was hungry, you didn't feed me, and when I was in need, you didn't meet my needs. He's saying there's nothing to show that you actually believed in me. Let's look at the positive. The positive comes from a surprise. It's a beautiful woman called Rahab, and she's a prostitute. And she's not a Jew, and she's not outwardly pious. She probably wouldn't find it in this church. In fact, if she walked to this church, everyone would go, a prostitute, and I missed but there's a woman whose faith was shown by the way she treated people. Verse 25. In the same way wasn't even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. If you know the story in Joshua, Joshua sends two spies into Jericho and they're spotted by the authorities so they seek refuge and they hide. Where's a good place to hide when you're on the run? A brothel. (laughs) And it's run by Rahab, the prostitute. And, and the authorities come and they say, have you seen these two spies? And he says, no, I haven't seen them. Uh, in fact, I think someone said they'd gone that way. And they hide in her, in her brothel. Now, why did she tell that lie? Why is she risking her life and betraying her own people? Why? Listen to why. Joshua 2 says this. She says, I know that God is the God of heaven above and the earth below. Very simple faith, isn't it? I know there's a God in heaven who's God in heaven above and earth. That's all she knows. It's not a, a more college graduate faith. All she knows is that there's a God above who's in control of everything, but she knows enough to let that faith impact the way she lives. So when the spies come to her, she doesn't say, there's a great place next door, why don't you try that? She says, no, no, I'm willing to risk my life. Yes, it's costly for me, but actually I'm going to do that because of my faith in God. That is beautiful, isn't it? Risky, costly, courageous, other person-centred love. And so her faith and her deeds were working together to show her faith was a saving faith. What about you? What about me? I'll tell you why I, find, I think we find it so hard here in Sydney, here in the Western world. I think we define faith, that word faith, in a very individual way. It's about me, my faith, my God, growing in my relationship with him. 
But when you read the Bible, it talks about when you do trust in God, when you do have faith, you're part of a, of a family. A family made of brothers and sisters. That's what the words James uses in verse 15, a brother or a sister. And just like your earthly family, you've got responsibilities. And the person next to you, the person behind you, the person never suffer is your brother. They are your sister. And so when they're in need, it's not my job or somebody else's job to do it. It's all our jobs to show that our faith is real. That's one reason. I think the second reason is our identity. So much of our identity is still caught up in who we are and what we can do and what we want rather than finding your identity in Christ. Because when you've gazed upon the beauty of Christ and when you've seen him hanging there on the tree, dying and bleeding for you, when you've gazed on his grace and his mercy and when you've understood that he has forgiven you and redeemed you, when that faith moves you to tears, then you find your identity in him and you start to look at people and possessions and life in a completely different way. And if you have got much, which we have got much here in Kirbali, you start to say, God has been so kind to me and God has been so gracious to me. And when you see someone in need, the grace of Christ overflows from you to meet their needs. Often asked, why does God bring certain people into my path at different times? And the answer is often uh, to test me, to show that that my faith is real by the way that I relate to them and the way that I treat them. That's the first sign, an active love for people. Second sign is living faith is demonstrated by an obedient love for God. That's the, the vertical, an, an obedient love for, for your maker and your creator, your father in heaven. Because I think some of us fall into what I call the, the just trap. We, we just have sound doctrine and we just say the right things and we just understand great truths and we just pass the the doctrine exam and we we just talk the talk and we we just spot the heresy a mile away but that's what it is information and knowledge and facts and James is really sarcastic in this passage and he says you people you're, you're so doctrinally pure and totally orthodox but you're fools verse 19 he says you believe there is one God. Good. Good on you. You're orthodox. You're sound. You're sound as a pound. He's not mocking that. Please, you need sound doctrine. You believe there's one God good, but even the, de- even the demon believes that. And they shudder. Why does he tell us about demons? He tells us about demons as the negative. He's saying, these are the heavenly bodies who believe the same things as you believe. If you think about it, uh, the demons, the devil, have actually been to the, the best Bible college in the planet. It's called the heavens. And they've seen God and they, they respect God as an all-powerful God and they respect God as a great God and they respect God as an all-knowing God. Uh, they know that he is the God of gods, but verse 19, they shudder. They are scared. They're fearful because they recognize how powerful God is and they acknowledge that, but... It's nothing but shuddering 
because they choose to ignore it, actually they actively orientate their life pretending that he's not. And that's the scary bit. This is a really scary bit, guys. It is possible to believe all the right things and say all the right things and quote the scriptures and God will say to you, you fool. You fool because your faith, what you believe was just like an insurance policy, just hedging your bets. It was just pious, religious, academic, intellectual nonsense. It was faith that didn't work. And I'll tell you why. Because there was nothing in your life to show that you really obeyed me. And you really took me at your word. And when you read the scriptures, you continued to fight against me rather than saying, okay God, I'll do what you say. Because that's what God calls for us, isn't it? A tough, obedient faith in action. And so when you read the scriptures and, and God says to you, the love of money is the root of all kind of evil, we want to say, yeah, but... Yes, but not that bad, is it? Money's quite nice. Or when you read the scriptures and it says, do not stop meeting together. Don't stop gathering as church. And we say, yes, but. But my life's busy and actually I don't feel like it tonight and I'm not getting anything out of it tonight so I won't bother coming. Even though the Bible says, you know, go and encourage each other and teach each other and rebuke each other and spur each other on. Yes, but. I'm not going to obey you, God, on, on that one. Or we read the Bible and God says to us, uh, avoid sexual immorality, uh, not even a hint of it. And we say, yes, but I'm quite enjoying it. I don't really want to obey you, God. And you turn to God and say, God, you're so tough. Yeah, that's right, he is. Because he knows what's best. And there's joy. There's joy in living God's way. And he knows that. There's freedom living God's way. He knows that. He wants you to obey him because he loves you. And yet we fight. And we're saying no to God. And if you want a man, if you want a man of whom God demanded the toughest obedience, look at Abraham. Look at your ancestor Abraham. He's there as an example in verse 21. Wasn't our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. Faith and deeds together. And his faith was made complete, matured, shown by what he did. And the scripture was literally filled out that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. I love the story of Abraham. Abraham was called by God Back in Genesis 12, he promised a great people and a great land and a great blessing. But the problem was that he was childless and he was old. And God said to Abraham back in Genesis 15, Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Can you imagine how offensive that is? To say to a man who is 80 or 90, you're going to have all these kids. And he said, don't be so stupid, God. No, no, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He took God at his word. Oh, he messed around, he did stupid things. But at his core, he really believed that. And God blessed him with a son called Isaac. So can you imagine when that God demands of you that you take your son and you sacrifice him? Do you reckon Abraham found that easy? 
Don't you think going through Abraham's head was, why God? I don't want to do this God. What are you asking me, God? I don't like this God. Every step up that mountain was a step of obedience. When he picked the wood up, when he picked the, the knife up, that's an act of obedience saying, God, you are God and you're asking me to do this. I don't understand why, but actually I do love you. I do trust you, so I'm going to do it. And according to James, it was that faith and that action working together which showed that his faith was, was true. Verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled. It was a scripture 25 years earlier that Abraham believed God. He was made right with God 25 years before this event. But this event, this action, this act of obedience showed and proved that his faith was genuine. Do you get it? God is demanding of us that we take him at his word, that we obey him, that we do what he says to show that our faith is real. Why did he do that? Because he wants us to be liberated, to be free, to be assured, to have joy in our life and to live God's way. It's not an oppressive command. It's given by somebody who knows what's good for us and knows what's right for us. And if you want to experience that and enjoy that, then he calls you to live obediently by faith. I'm sure there are people here tonight who, like Abraham, are being demanded big things of God. He, you know, he never, as far as I can work in the rest of the Bible, he never commands us to sacrifice a child. But he makes big calls on your life and big calls on my life. And yet it's tough. But let me say, when you do obey, when I do obey, when I do live God's way, that's when my faith is real. And I know it's real. And it's living an active and genuine and joyful faith. No smoke without fire. When the smoke is there, you know there's something happening. There may be people here tonight who for, yeah, the very first time you've realised that your faith is not real and genuine. If that is you, I want to praise God for that. And I'll pray that he will show you Christ and the confidence and the assurance of forgiveness you can have in him. I'll do more than that. I want to talk to you in action. I want to sit down with you. I want to read with you. I want to pray with you so that your faith can be real and genuine. Please don't leave this building tonight without talking to somebody. There may be people here tonight who have been really rebuked by the word of God. You need to do business with God. Again, talk to somebody. Uh, think about why it is that you're not displaying your faith by the way that you love other people and the way that you're obeying God. Talk to me. Come and pray with somebody. And I do pray the people who need to be assured and affirmed will leave here just marvelling at Christ, his grace and his mercy, because that's the foundation of your faith, what Christ did for you 2,000 years ago. And as you gaze on his beauty, you will leave here with your hearts warmed and comforted. Wherever you're at, I pray this will be a church where our faith is not dead. It's living, joyful, genuine, active faith by an active love for people and an obedient love towards God. Let me pray.
What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Abraham, he was a man whose faith and actions were working together and God called him his friend. Father, we want to be known as your friend. What a beautiful term. It's just so intimate and so real that we can be called your friends. Thank you that we are your friends through Christ. Help us to show that we are your friends by the way that we treat other people and the way that we love you obediently. Father, would you, by your Spirit, do a great and powerful and changing work in our lives tonight. And I plead that for the sake of your precious Son our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.